is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 45. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. And I mean that. Thank you. I mean, for spending time uh, listening to this podcast. I, I appreciate it. Everyone who I hear and I see the downloads and I don't know all the faces or names. Um, but I am thankful every single time. You know, in, in, a, in a rough year and putting stuff out there and, you know, having kind of a struggle this, uh, this spring. And I think anyone who's a professional educator is, is you're tired. You're tired. I know I'm tired. I know I, um, I, thankfully our semester ended, had a great semester, but just towards the end, it felt like it was like the last, I've ran a few half marathons and it felt like the last three miles of a half marathon where it's like, okay, got over the hard part, but still got to finish. And that's where I'm at. And uh, just kind of taking a breath, trying to figure out some things uh, as we go into the summer. Um, Want to still put out good content and thinking about all of you out there that are listening. But I just, first and foremost, just want you to know that I am thankful. I'm thankful. So I uh, appreciate all you out there. And uh, for all of you that are professional educators, um, I'll just, I'm saying prayers for you. Um, prayers for rejuvenation, prayers for uh, finishing strong, uh, prayers for everything. So uh, let's keep it going. On today's episode of the Eminent Planet Podcast, we have David Waddell. David is a longtime friend. Uh, he's a teacher, an author. He's a professional pun crafter. If you put anything out there and a pun is available, he, David is jumping on that. And uh, we had a chance to uh, interact uh, at church uh, the other day and you know, I just thought like, hey, here's a guy who is, he teaches at the university and we'll get into that in the episode. And then also he's started writing books and he's already on his, as you're going to hear in the episode, his fourth book and taking his life experience, taking the stories as he accumulated, connecting them to the Bible and putting them out there. So we, we just kind of at the coffee machine at church, we were like, Hey, why don't we have you? Why don't I have you on the podcast? Why don't we talk about teaching through storytelling? And it just made sense. So this episode is probably long overdue. It's it's one of those things where it's like someone that's right in front of your face, like that has something to share and and um, has a unique perspective and and a gift for telling stories. And it's like, why don't we share that on the podcast? And so thankful for this, uh, thankful for this opportunity. Thankful for podcasts and the ability to share conversations. I think I've said it many, many times, but the ability to have a conversation with David, get a lot of golden nuggets and be able to share those golden nuggets with anyone that listens is uh, a privilege. And um, again, thankful for all you out there. So without further delay, actually, wait, you know, we're going to talk about books. If we talk about books, we got to do the book disclaimer. So before I jump into the conversation with David, just a quick disclaimer, you know it. In no way we'll be able to communicate the whole value of the books that David has written. And even if we did, it would be from our perspective. Uh, in other words, if you like what you hear, go get the books for yourself. I'm going to put a lot of links in the show notes. They'll be at AmazonPlanet.com forward slash episode 45. So you can purchase the books, uh, David's books, uh, through those links. But you can also, if you just get inspired to think about books, maybe think about writing your own books. You might want to go find a book on writing books. Uh, try to support those local booksellers like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi. I, I don't get anything from Square Books. I just really enjoy them, and they do great stuff. And I know that there's probably a local bookseller near you that's probably doing great stuff as well, uh, especially during these times. Let's, let's support them. So without further delay now, here's my conversation with David Waddell. 
David Waddell, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. How are you doing? Joel, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, you know me, I always love to talk. So this is, uh, this is making my day. That's right. At least we both have a, a, some coffee too, because that's usually where we find ourselves with a cup of coffee in our hand and uh, <laughs> talking to each other. So cheers. <laughs> uh, so David, just, uh, I mean, we've known each other for a oh, man. I think it was probably at a uh, 6 a.m. meeting at the Orchard Church in uh, yeah, Oxford, in Mississippi. 12, I think. Yeah, yeah. We had a little, we were doing these little leadership meetings. I think Pat Ward was facilitating that. And I think that's when I met you for the first time. But for those that don't know you, could you give just a little bit of background on who you are, both as a, uh, uh, just well, a little bit on your background and maybe a little bit of background on your teaching and then also on your books? Yeah, I sure can. Um, uh, I was born and raised in uh, both uh, the Kansas City area and Springfield, Missouri areas uh, for high school, college, growing up and all that. Uh, went to Southwestern Seminary and uh, launched a career in church recreation, worked in local churches for about 20 years uh, in both youth ministry and, and recreation ministry. And uh, all of that led me uh, down a different path of a career uh, into uh, teaching at the University of Mississippi in sport and recreation administration. Um, seems like my entire career, I, I told someone I was at a conference this week, and I realized that I've been in some form of recreation business for 45 years. Now, that oh, wow. I started when I was two. Uh, <laughs> Thank, thankfully, this is a uh, uh, audio broadcast, and they can't <laughs> see how bad I'm lying. But um, no, just had some uh, chances uh, while I was at a church, uh, my home church in Springfield, Missouri, serving as their recreation minister. I uh, did some adjunct teaching for Missouri State, and I think that uh, helped qualify me when I applied at Ole Miss. And uh, or there was no other remotely qualified candidates. I'm not sure which. <laughs> Uh, but I got the job uh, teaching. Um, about nine years ago, I had some heart trouble and ended up in the hospital with it. It was the second time that I'd had uh, the atrial fibrillation where half of your heart is beating and the other half is uh, kind of just jiggling and dancing. And out of that, uh, of course, social media was going, Facebook and all that. So I put together just kind of a tongue-in-cheek top, top 10 reasons I was glad I had heart trouble and just was being my normal crazy self, but it was, it was some important points as well. Like not, you know, letting go of grudges cause you never know when the end is coming, mm -hmm. uh, restoring relationships, um, being thankful for connections. Um, a place that I worked in Memphis, uh, was concerned for me, got me a second opinion. I've never paid a dime for it. I think they covered, um, the, the visit to one of the top cardiologists at uh, the University of Tennessee in Memphis Medical oh, wow. Center. So anyway, out of these top 10 things, uh, friends started saying, Dave, this is good stuff. And uh, when are you going to write a book and all that? And um, one friend in particular asked me if I could print out the top 10 reasons and put it in book form for her birthday. And uh, I said, I can, but why would you want it? She said, David, you don't know how good of a writing uh, this is. You're, you're, you're talented. Well, Joel, for 20 years in church work, I wrote weekly newsletters and all that. I mean, I'm telling you, 
no one ever came up and said, wow, David, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is fabulous. You know, what are you doing working in the church? Get out there and start, you know, none of that happened, but all of a sudden it did. And, and um, one of the things that's always concerned me is how much uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, deify some of the Bible characters like Peter and Abraham. And um, I, I got to realizing they're just like you and me and um, and we're just like them. So I got the idea of taking uh, situations out of my own life and comparing them to things that the Bible characters did. Uh, for example, Peter in one uh, verse, right before he meets Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, uh, the, the verse in the scripture actually says, Peter, not knowing what to say, spoke. And unfortunately, I have far too many times in my life that I didn't know what to say, but I spoke. And so I just put all of those things together and it uh, created uh, the first two books of uh, combining my life with, with the Bible. And so I, I write in what I call a theme, taking the Bible personally. And so relating personal stories to biblical truths. Um, and so I, I, out of that, I ended up with characters of the Bible, holiday biblical characters, one called Worship Wars, where I related aspects of worship to the uh, kings of Israel and Judah. And a fourth one is under contract to come out later this year, uh, based on Paul's letters that he wrote to three churches and one person while he was in prison. And I'm titling it a cell call from Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Always love to play on words. That's right. If anyone uh, knows David, uh, you're, well, if anyone knows you, like you're, you're a punny guy. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think of you, there's a guy on, um, Instagram who, uh, we've, we, my Katie and I, my wife are very, uh, uh, we like to listen to, cause he just does these like puns and he's pretending he's saying them to his son. And there's always like a secondary pun and then another pun. And like, like, how do you know where the weight room is at Hogwarts? You look for the dumbbell doors. <laughs> That's the, the something about a cheese factory that blew up in france there was debris everywhere yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah yeah and that's a gouda pun <laughs> see oh yeah that's right uh always quick but um but yeah like the the characters of the bible book the holiday biblical characters uh but i mean they're they're pretty neat and when we, we uh had an in, in the fact that you just you open yourself up and then you also open up the Bible up and saying like, Hey, there's connections here between, you know, how I've had some, you know, mix ups in my life. And and then also with the, these stories that are in the Bible. And then it also then makes everything relatable to ourselves that we, maybe we're putting too much pressure on ourselves to be, to, to live up to a certain expected when, Hey, it, it's not about being perfect. It's about being honest and then about trying to keep getting better. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, someone pointed out, They said, David, I noticed you didn't have stories where you related yourself to Jesus. Um, Not quite there yet. (laughs) Just not quite there yet. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't know that that might have to be the, uh, the, the, the final book there. (laughs) Yeah. I I find myself related to, uh, to Jacob and Peter the most. Um, and the old uh, comedian Grady Nutt used to refer to Peter as the Barney Fife of the disciples. If you've ever seen the mm-hmm. oh, Andy yeah. Griffith show, Peter was the kind of guy that would keep the bullet in his pocket. <laughs> well, and, and to and 
and again, like I've, I've had a number of experiences and, you know, uh, and I actually remember Pat having that sermon at the orchard about um, really diving into Peter uh, a little bit on his character. And, and it's like, you do see, again, if you, you look at the reading the Bible and looking at the characters like you have, and you see like, yeah, they are just like people too. Like, you know, Peter was always quick to say something like, oh, I will, you know, I'll, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never, yeah. what, uh, shoot, what is the, the, um, uh, I'll never, uh, I'll always be with you, Lord, or something like that. Yeah, I'll and like, never you know, deny you. Never deny you. Thank you. Um, never deny you. And then like, Eugene's like, nope, you are going to, <laughs> there's going to be a sign that there's going to be a rooster that's going to crow and then you'll know. So yeah, it's pretty cool the way that you, you did that. So I, I mean, so you're, you're, you're kind of harnessing within these books, the power of storytelling, like in thinking about the stories that are in your life, the stories that are in the Bible and, and trying to put them together, you know, and seeing how powerful stories are in, in communicating things. And I think, you know, what's cool is I'm in math education and, you know, we're seeing like the power of context in, in helping teach stories. And it's like, well, Jesus did it 2000 years ago. So you know, like, we're yeah. just figuring it out now, but I mean, <laughs> still, what do you see as the power of storytelling? Well, um, it, it does do that uh, sense that it relates people to their own life or to modern occurrences. Um, but I, I think the greatest thing about a storytelling uh, experience is it resonates with people. If uh, Even in math, and, and I'm not the, the greatest uh, math guy in the world, but when they started telling uh, problems like, if a man is driving from Chicago, you know, the famous math question, if a man is driving from Chicago at so many miles per hour and the guy's leaving Salt Lake City, you know, where will they meet? What mileage marker? And you can see someone driving. And uh, uh, as, as poor as I am at math, that story still resonates with me because I will do math in my head. If I'm driving to Memphis and it's 41 miles and I'm driving 70 miles an hour, I try to pinpoint the time on the clock that I'll arrive in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Now, I made a D in Algebra 1 in high school, but I'm doing algebra on the highway. And uh, so it's just those stories that continue to resonate. When I put the first book out, I was amazed at how many people that texted or wrote reviews and said, oh my gosh, I was the sibling that hid candy also. Or, you know, I did the same thing. I was on safety patrol and became the Barney Fife of the stairway. And, and so stories just uh, relate to people because we've all lived life. And uh, when, I, when I tell stories in class about traffic circles, uh, which I think were created by Satan, um, <laughs> the, the students all understand because uh, a lot of them come to Oxford and have never driven in one and it's so goofy. And, and they're weird. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and they are. And uh, they're, they're building them more and more. Uh, apparently, they've got this uh, statistic that it actually helps traffic. Um, but um, I also know, I, I tell my students, 63.2% of all statistics are fabricated on the spot. <laughs> and uh, then I just wait and see how many of them catch it. That's right. But it, it's just a powerful way of, uh, of making a point or relating a truth. Um, I, I can tell my students the technique that I would use to terminate employees when I was in a recreation uh, practitioner position. I also can tell them a story about a young man that I had to terminate 
who wasn't in the right place working for me and later went to work for Chick-fil-A and introduced me to the chicken biscuit with extra butter. Because he said, if you order it with extra butter, you get fresh chicken, you get a fresh biscuit because they can't unwrap it based on health codes. Plus you get extra butter. So when I'm telling the story about this, I, I, I try to relay the, the truth that when you terminate someone, it's not always the end of their life. It may be the beginning of their life. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of my time with these students, they know that I like chicken biscuits with extra butter. That's the relating thing. So when they see a chicken biscuit, they're probably remembering Mr. Waddell taught us once about the proper way to terminate. So that, that's the power of stories in my, in my thinking. Oh yeah. And like, just, you know, like you're saying all these and, and just going back to your books, like they're such, they're nice. Cause they're like little bite-sized pieces of story. Like you, it's not something you, you don't necessarily have to read from cover to cover. You can jump in and you've got, um, you know, the citations from the Bible that you're kind of connecting to within each story. And so you can dive in here and there, but the, the stories that then, like you're saying resonate and then like, Oh yeah, I've had that experience too. And I, and then the thing that you do so brilliantly is like make that connection to some biblical truth. And it's like, Oh, that I had never thought about my own experience connecting to that. I've just learned a little bit of something about myself and us sharing this like common under uh, common story with each other. Right. So, yeah. Uh, the one that uh, always tickled me was the first story that I thought of, of doing was the uh, story of Joseph um, you know, everyone always feels sorry for him because his brothers abused him, put him in a pit, sold him to Egypt. And um, but I was the middle of three boys, Joel. And so I know I know Joseph was not innocent when his dad gave him the favored coat of many colors. I don't think Joseph just took the coat and secretly hid it in his room. He, uh -uh. he walked in front of his brothers. He reminded them of who dad loved the most. And I mean, he was probably the most obnoxious brother in the <laughs> world. And I was that brother. So when, when mom or dad would bring candy home from the store, my brothers would eat theirs up right then. I would eat part of it and then hide it in my sock drawer or somewhere in a closet and then weeks later or a month later, I would pull it out and, and I wouldn't just eat it. I would tantalize them with it, like take a small <laughs> bite of, of chocolate and then just, oh, oh, my gosh, this is good. And of course, my brothers are saying, you know, can we have some? No, no, you ate yours. You, you. And so I mean, just ugly. So I figure if there was a caravan, an Egyptian caravan that came through Kansas City, my brothers <laughs> would have sold me into slavery. My younger brother says that they wanted um, the brothers to pay the Egyptians to take me. Yeah. So that's why I stayed in the family. But, you know, Joseph was not not a good guy. And the reason it took him so long to finally get to where God could use him was that he had this sense of pride and entitlement mm -hmm. that just had to be broken. And yeah. uh, that's the life of Dave also. That's right. Yeah. No, so I am the youngest and I married uh, an oldest child. And so there is some, you know, some comparisons about our lives growing up and a little bit different, a little bit different here and there. Yeah. yeah. And my heart goes out to your daughter because she's the middle child. And we all know the middle child is the most abused in any family. That's right. <laughs> oh yeah. We could, we could tell some stories about her, so, <laughs> but we won't. She's in that age where it's like, like just, 
just walk on by. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw the other day something posted. I'm like, she's in middle school. She's going to be, yeah, she's going to be in middle school and she made the dance team and she's, and as you know, you've seen her, she would like never stop moving. I'm like, well, finally she's found her, she's found yeah. her lane and she's yeah. loving it. So I just, I, I guess I never expected your kids to grow older as we grew older, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. They should stay the same. Like, and that's where we have the pictures in our, uh, well, the pictures on the uh, uh, little Google hub thing that's rolling through and you see all these like little pictures of, you know, baby Noah and like right. Annie and something like, uh, and then Jack's, well then, and actually it goes back to your stories. Like there's not as many pictures of Jack <laughs> as there were of <laughs> Noah back in the day. <laughs> so that's, that's how it happens, you know, a uh, different, little different treatment. So from your, from your books, maybe give a little bit of flavor what what is your favorite teaching story like or one of your favorites i know you have probably many i have several yeah but i, I would say this um i am such a storyteller sometimes the stories are truthful like out of my life etc but when i was growing up i enjoyed fabricating and making up my own stories and um one of the stories my parents told me over and over again was about the boy who cried wolf you know, the guy that he, mm -hmm. he lied about the wolves attacking and then finally the wolves did attack. And because um, I just um, I, I came home from school one day and told my mom that Yogi Bear, the cartoon character, had uh, rode home on the, the school bus with me. And of course, they were getting aggravated with my made up stories and imagination. So she said, did he really? Are you sure? And I said, yeah. So dad gets home from work and she said, uh, Dave, tell tell your dad who was on your school bus. And I said, uh, it was Yogi Bear. And dad looks puzzled and he says, well, how can that be? He rode home from work with me. And I mean, <laughs> I was I was totally gone. So that was one of my early stories. The, the ones I enjoy most, uh, I think, is anytime Jesus dealt with the disciples. Mm -hmm. Because so much of my life is in correlation with them. I can imagine James and John going to Jesus and asking them, asking Jesus if he wanted them to pray down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. Um, I, I, if I had a dollar for every time I asked God to punish someone, um, you know, I could retire now. Um, but I think more than anything, the way he dealt with Jesus, with the way that Jesus dealt with Peter, um, Peter speaking, not knowing what he said, uh, mm -hmm. kind of thing. But um, one of my favorites is when they announce, Peter announces that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus says, uh, well, I have to go into Jerusalem and die. And Peter pulls him to the side and says, I wouldn't talk like that if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just the gall of Peter to tell the master how things are going to be um, just just tickled me. And, uh, but I, I also like David and Goliath. I'm, I always root for the underdog. Um, you know, uh, I've been a lifelong fan of Kansas City baseball and football. Um, I, I fell in love with the Los Angeles Lakers when the Boston, uh, Boston Celtics were beating the crud out of them every year mm -hmm. in the 1960s. And so David and Goliath is a particularly good one. And uh, I, I love especially where uh, David says to the giant, 
today you'll be buzzard bait, or or the King James said the birds of the air will feast on your carcass. But just pulling those things out, the, the little guy wins. Uh, the way God involves himself in the lives of people, uh, all of those are are uh, are great stories. But uh, I think Peter's dealing with Jesus is probably my best teaching story. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. So, you know, it, so when you finally took the, uh, the leap to start writing these uh, stories down and, and writing the books, like, what were some learnings that you had, like in that process? I mean, because I can't imagine like, where you're, you're kind of going through your entire life and uh, picking out these stories and, and seeing how they make these connections. What, what were some learnings that you had? Well, one of the things was, um, I mean, it started off with just a few initial stories, um, but then what I did was I would take particular Bible characters and study them, and um, and it was just like kabam, memory pops up. Um, mm. There's one where Peter is trying to uh, patrol Jesus's entry, and he's pushing people away, keeping the kids away from from Jesus, and it kind of reminded me of being the new sheriff in town, kind of thing. Like Peter's, you know, taking control, running the show, and and all of a sudden, uh, out of my memory pops up, uh, and, and I had not remembered it up until that time. In fourth grade uh, elementary, I was uh, placed on stair duty, um, so I had to get to school early. I wore one of those orange vests, and I kept the behavior on the uh, stairwell and everything. And uh, I was the same way. Hey, stop that, blow my whistle, you know, keep them moving. And, and I mean, I just took the authority to, to the uh, uh, extra degree. Um, so I, I just learned some things uh, in memory about my life um, mm-hmm. and, and just saw how um, through the mix, mix of uh, stupidity and, and sinfulness, how God got me to where I am to this point that was probably the greatest learning aspect uh in in the sense of writing um you know i I read some things about people that write and and there's kind of two different schools of thought one is dedicate an hour each day sit down and write even if you're not inspired you know just spit out something you go back and look at it later um i would just stare at a computer screen for an hour you know nothing would come I'm more of what I call the inspirational writer. Mm -hmm. The downside to that is inspiration usually hits at one or two in the morning. (laughs) You wake up with a thought. I've got a little pad uh, to the side. This same friend that helped me get into uh, writing uh, gave me a a book that's called Ideas by Me, and it's just blank pages inside. So I have that on my bedstand with a pen so that if a great idea would come to me, I could get up, write it down, then go back to sleep. The only problem was I would write the idea down, I would lay back down, and then I would start developing the story in my head. Um, so, I, you know, there were many times on first, uh, on well, actually on all three books, that I would get up and start typing, and then my alarm would go off. So it was time to get ready to go to, to, to work. And so uh, I, I learned really what style works best with me. My, my creativity is an early morning time. And so um, uh, tap into that. I, the thing that really struck me and, and I, cause I've, you know, kind of, I don't know when it, I knew you before you started on the first book, correct? Dave? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking about like all the, you know, we've had some, 
some common uh, time in, in children's ministry at our church uh, together, like we, where we both have a common love about uh, making a fool of ourselves in front of uh, in front of children. So it's, it's yes. great. Yeah. Good way to connect with them. But then also too, just seeing like, okay, you know, David has this impact of when he's teaching in, in front of a, I've seen you also teach in front of the church. I've seen you teach in front of kids and like, and then you're teaching at the university and you have this impact, but then it, you know, the, the writing allows that impact to then go even further. And there's probably people that, you know, you would never have interacted with that now somehow got a hold of your book and now are, le- are learning from you in teaching through this, through the book. And I just, I, that just, I heard a, uh, a professor when I was first starting my doctoral degree and I was asking him like, so what's next for these ideas that you have? And he's like, well, that's why I wrote the book so I could put them out there and then they can, somebody else can take them to the next level. And it's like, that's, that's so cool is thinking like all these stories that you put out into the world where people, you know, are, are using them to, you know, help uh, teach themselves about maybe a little bit, maybe this seems a little bit better way for them to get closer to the Bible. Maybe it's a better way for them to think about some of these lessons that are contained within and like all those sorts of um, benefits of your teaching that are now, out into the world. And like, I, I think that, that emphasis on writing and getting them down so they can go out into the world and have a life beyond your physical presence is, it's kind of amazing. It, it um, uh, I thank you for that. Uh, that's one of the things I think that's most valuable about writing. Um, you know, we know in history that up to a certain point, even the Bible was just an oral tradition Mm-hmm. This generation tells the next generation. Finally, someone said, you know, we ought to put this on paper. And, um, you know, that's probably the reason that we have it as accurate as we do today is because someone finally wrote it down. It, it does expand influence in incredible ways. And uh, I've told folks the, the delusion of grandeur in my mind is that I thought one day God would use me to impact uh, thousands of people at one time. And what I realized is instead he has gifted me with the ability to influence thousands of people one at a time. Mm. And that I'm not gonna be the one that stands in front of a full stadium telling a story, but I'll be the one that puts it on paper and uh, let people hear it. Or I'll be in that small group of children or in a class of 50 uh, and have the, the storytelling ability to influence uh, those folks. Uh, I get tickled at, at the number of kids who are now teenagers uh, when you and I started working in children's ministry that still remember the songs that you and I did and the oh, stories yeah. that you and I told. Uh, Pat Ward told me once, uh, who was our former pastor at the church, um, said that uh, when they would go through some of their family devotions, his kids would say, uh, Daddy, this is how Mr. David said it. And uh, so, you know, you, you do, the stories just have an impact. And uh, I've always felt like it was it was most important, especially with Bible stories, to make them come alive for people. And, and I think even in teaching university students, if, if you can allow them to come alive, but I do storytelling in the classroom the same way. They they see me. I tell them things I fouled up on. I confess uh, that I was a visionary and I I really stunk at details with things. And um, uh, I, I just think that helps influence people. But putting it on paper is, is great. That's 
You just never know. And really, even in the teaching uh, aspect, uh, you know, you're a math educator. Uh, you're sending people out that will then have careers in math and, and mostly teaching math. Uh, I mean, the ripple effect on what a story or what a teacher does is incredible. So uh, I, I'm just glad to be on the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's like, you know, I think, uh, actually, I think Pat might have shared this, like, piece of research they they looked at like ted talks of people watching ted talks and when the when a ted talk starts with a story you know you talk about resonating well like actually like the brains would like like their brain patterns would like match with people because they were like connecting to a story that someone is telling and then to bring it into like whatever the lesson is like there is so much power there so it's not even just like anecdotally because we we all know i mean I don't think anyone listening to this would say like that stories are not powerful, but stories are powerful, but like they, they have that way of sticking with us. And even like you said, years later, the kids are remembering these lessons that you taught because of the stories that you told. And so there is so much power. And, and that's where I have, you know, we do a lot with uh, portfolios in our department and thinking about these mile markers of the development. And really what they are is these, teachers, these pre-service teachers capturing stories. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I still remember the story of the t first test I gave. Uh, it was a written learning celebration with Joe Dye, who was a previous guest. He's a storyteller too, but a uh, previous guest on the podcast, but uh, he let me write a, a celebration of learning and it was awful, but he let me do it and let me have an experience. And so that I could think like, okay, how am I going to recover? How am I going to do it? And it, it still stuck with me about how the lessons I learned from that event. And now I, now I have a story and I have a story now only to on my own development, but also to share with the teachers that I get a chance to work with now. So it's so cool. So cool how that works. I agree. Now, um, one of the questions you, you posed at me um, in, in our previous conversation about this podcast was what's the downside? What's the, the, possible critical part of a story. And, and it, it's so funny that the very thing that's good about stories can also be harmful about stories. I have students that know I like chicken biscuits with extra butter, but they don't relate the story back to the truth. Mm -hmm. And I have people that remember I hid the candy, but don't remember the relationship to Joseph. And so, um, Sometimes people remember the humor or the cuteness of something and don't necessarily come back into the truth. Uh, that, that's where the storyteller has to really drive it home. And um, um, Jesus was, was an expert at this. He would tell the story. And there were a couple of cases in the, uh, in the Gospels where the disciples would come back and say, okay, what does that mean? And, and then he would, he would share with them. Yeah, let, let them struggle a little bit. Yeah. So given all your experience, let's say, you know, you talk about that we're going to uh, possibly have another book coming out. And so like that, that'll be four. So you've done a lot of writing and thinking about like putting these stories down and thinking about how to, um, how to teach this way. What, what would you have done differently now in hindsight, having written uh, all these books? Well, that's a great question. Uh, one, one answer to that is get, some good editing. Um, my first two books didn't get the, the kind of editing. The, uh, at one point, someone said uh, to me, there's a difference in proper English and hillbilly English. <laughs> and um, 
my my college uh, writing instructor, I told him the difficulty I had with writing was that I write like I speak. And he said, well, that's not a problem. And then I spoke some and he understood the problem. Um, <laughs> so getting good editing. Um, I, I think the, the greatest lesson I had is that people do judge a book by their cover. Mm. So the first one, I wanted to convey the message that it was uh, a serious topic in humorous ways. So I used cartoon biblical characters on the front. And to this day, people still say, oh, you wrote a children's book. <laughs> and um, I don't know why. I mean, there's there's tons of adult cartoons, you know, on TV. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the animation or the, the cartoon figure on my book made them think it's a children's book. Uh, I am planning to fix that. The seventh anniversary of the first book is in February of 2022. Wow. I'm probably going to come out with a new cover and a, a new rebranding and some better editing on it. Um, um, right after it came out, a couple in church came up to me and said, uh, how many chapters are in the Gospel of Mark? And uh, I said, 16. For some reason, I knew that. And they said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. So they pulled out the book and pointed to one of the chapters where I referred to Mark chapter 24 or 28. (laughs) I meant Matthew, but I put Mark in it. I missed it. The publisher's editing uh, crew missed it. Um, So I I think what I've learned is, number one, get good editing. Let the cover speak to what the book is really about. And, uh, And then recognize that humanity is still involved. Yeah, and it's never going to be perfect. That's right. No, that's good. Um, so, if you were asked to uh, sum up a, the sum up teaching and stories in seven words or less, this was a challenge. It's the challenge I I put to people, and this is all coming from the Michael Pollan's in defense of food, eat food, not too much, mostly plants, um, where he kind of puts that on the cover. It's like, well, there it is. There's if you want to save, you know. 25 bucks. Here's, here's the message of this book. Well, what, what's the message of teaching with, uh, teaching with stories? Can and you... by the way, this was the most challenging question. Uh, I'm not on Twitter because 280 bytes is not enough. <laughs> um, my students, my students told me I was a seven course dinner in a one, a 280 byte world. Um, <laughs> so summing it up. So I've come up with this. Do you want them to remember tell stories. Nice. That is excellent. I like it. So, um, the, the stories just resonate. Uh, people remember stories and, um, you know, ancestor.com is making a killing mm. off, off finding your story, finding right. your path for your yeah. path and, um, stories, stories tell us more. And, you know, uh, my younger brother did some work on the genealogy of our family and finding out who we are. And, and um, I mean, I, until then, I, I couldn't even remember the name of my great-grandfather on my dad's side. Because, um, you know, we go from generation to generation right. and, and lose some of that stuff. But I tell people, I have no doubt because of the way uh, that my boys were raised and the way I was raised by my father and him by his father, I have no doubt that my great-grandfather or his father or his father before him was probably very witty, 
probably enjoyed life. And I like to say was incredibly good looking and modest. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we carry the traits on through. And That's so the right. stories we hear, um, in fact, one of the regrets I have in life is I didn't ask my dad more stories of his childhood no. growing up before, before he uh, left us. Um, and, you know, I've, I've hit mom for some because uh, she's still with us. But those are the things that help us tie the past to us. And I, I think of the words uh, that Moses gave to the people after the tablets came down. And he said, tell this to your children. Mm-hmm. The story of how we got out of Egypt and got into the promised land is the story that they will reflect back on. When times are tough, you reflect back on the story of how God brought you through another situation. So storytelling is is uh, is key to learning. Yeah, and and like and you find when the Old Testament, in, when uh, when they lost their stories, when they couldn't find where it was written, they didn't remember who they were. That's when they got in trouble a lot, yeah, and then all of a sudden, yeah. like they find it, like whoa, all right, let's let's straighten yeah, up this house a little bit. When I was studying the kings for the uh, worship war book, uh, Josiah, they were cleaning out the temple because it had just been demolished and, and abused, and he found the law and some of the stories of Moses. And the Bible says he ripped his clothes in anguish and cried, and uh, realized, you know, how lost we have become. Mm-hmm. So stories, stories do the trick. Yeah, no, and I and, and I can tell. So like when you say like if you want to remember, tell stories. Like I used to teach about the law of signs, and this is the uh, where the angle of one side of a the angle uh, of a triangle uh, and the uh, matching side across from that angle, like they're all in perfect uh, proportion across the triangle. Anyway, it we would use like we we were deriving it in class, and that you could imagine that that might not be the most exciting thing to do <laughs> in a math class. Well, we created a, an event where it was like, it was always like whatever movie it was around, it was always in the spring. So there's some movie that was going to be coming out and like, you know, Memorial Day that was on the trailers and stuff. And so one year is about, you know, the new Star Wars movie that was coming out. Another way it was about the Superman movie that was coming out. And we would like create some sort of situation where the triangle is like Lois Lane is here and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, a building is falling over here and where should Superman go? And we need to figure out some distances and things. And what do we do? And like, let's create the law of signs. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, you know, it was silly. It was, but you know what? I bet you it was memorable, you know, from those yeah. experiences. And so, um you know, that's, that's a, that's a good uh, sum for seven. That's, that's pretty good. Um, so, you know, you've done a lot of teaching, you know, you're talking about how long you've you experienced business ministry, and then also here at the University of Mississippi, what it, I mean, besides storytelling, maybe if there's something that's specific technique or a strategy that you use in your teaching, but maybe, maybe it is just storytelling, but what, what is, what is the best thing you do to help your teaching? Um, the best thing that's helped me, uh, besides the storytelling, is, mm-hmm. is the uh, reference to the old 80-20 rule. And I've come to realize that 20%, generally 20% of every class I have are, are students that genuinely want to learn what I have to tell them. And 80% are there for the grade or to get through and get a diploma. And what I have to remind myself is to not let the 80% aggravate me and impact how well I influence the 20%. Mm -hmm. So I try to shoot for the 20 
and be excited and enthusiastic for them. I may carry some of the 80 over, some of the 80 will never care. Um, but if, if I pinpoint my teaching out of aggravation on the 80, I, I hurt the 20. Mm -hmm. So I just go into classes recognizing that 20% are going to be with me. And I've discovered, uh, although I'm not a, a big fan of online learning because of the lack of the, the I, I think education is more relational than informational, but even in online learning, it's still about 20% are getting things done on time, asking questions, checking in, 80% are, are, you know, and, and the, the figures can can fluctuate. It's not a pure 80-20, but I just try to take care of the 20. Well, yeah, and, and two is, and that's a good message because, you know, sometimes if it is that side where, if you are, you might lose some of the 20 if you're just completely focused in on that 80. And so right. like the, the people that are there that what you're talking about is like at the center of who they are and where they want to be going forward. And they're, you know, you focused in on the other, the 80. And it's like, well, they're like, I'm here, I'm ready. You know, like, you know, give it, give me what you got and I'll yeah. run with it. And yeah, you might grab some people over from the other side. So, I mean, I have to teach, I've taught math, to ninth graders when I was a high school math teacher and some, you know, it, it was a required class and it was like, uh, and I liked it. I liked, I liked the challenge of trying to, you know, there's folks that really identified as doers of mathematics and some that did not. Um, and w whether that was like their parents communicating, like we're not math people and stuff like that. I've had own family members tell that their family members were not math people. I'm like, Hey, I'm in the family. Come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> yes, we are. Um, but, uh, but, and then trying to, to win them more and be like saying like, this is exciting stuff. Like there's pretty cool things like uh, how you can understand your word a little bit better through this stuff. And like, you know, at least at a minimum, they see like, well, this person cares about what they're talking about. And I can see that in, in what they do. And so, you know, there's a, there's a level of respect there as well for the, that kind of teaching. Very good. And, and I'll say, even though I'm not a math person, there's two or three stories about my uh, experiences with math in the book. So um, they're, they're, you know, more about maybe perhaps a biblical character's failure in something, but. <laughs> well, I'll push you there. If you're, if you're living and breathing, you're a math person. So that's true. Well, like I said, go. I try to figure out how much time 41 miles will take me to get to Memphis. That's right. That's right. Um, real, uh, real quick, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, talk through a couple, but I did want to ask you a couple quick fire questions. Okay. Right. Cause I know you've got an opinion on them. Where is the best barbecue in the country? The best barbecue in the country. Um, if, if you want pork, I'm going to suggest that you go to a cozy corner in Memphis. Okay. Or Jack stack in Kansas city. Nice. Or Arthur Bryan in Kansas City would be a good uh, a good stop. Also, in Texas, there is a little town of Taylor, Texas, with a place called Muller's Barbecue, and get the get the brisket and the beef ribs there, just incredible. Um, that's Texas, Casey. Now in Carolina, I'm still a, a rookie. I haven't yeah. found my best. Now for pork sausage. Uh, there's a pig out in in Natchez, Mississippi. 
nice. that you got to go to because you can cut into that sausage and put it in your mouth and you can taste the smoke. Uh, no. so, um, I haven't nice. done much study in this. So I don't know. if. <laughs> Nice. And then, because uh, I, I know you did a, you, you've toured a lot of baseball parks too, right? Yes. Wh- what's your favorite place other than Kansas City? Because we'll, you know, to see a baseball game. Other than Kansas City, let me think real quick. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I'm I'm a his, history of baseball kind of guy. Love the game. Um, my trip to Wrigley Field in Chicago was just absolutely incredible. First time I was there, uh, uh, the do- a lady that I'd worked with at a retirement home in Memphis lived, her daughter lived in Chicago, so she was my tour guide. We got into Wrigley Field, they were doing the uh, Star Spangled Banner, and when it was over, she turned to me to say, let's go find our seats, and my eyes were kind of full of water, and she said, oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize that patriotism got you that much. I said, well, you know, I am a patriot, but I said, I pointed out to the field, I said, that's where Babe Ruth pointed to center field, and this is where Billy Williams played, and Hank Aaron was over here, and just the whole aspect of baseball history was incredible. Yeah. I also made it to Fenway, but I was disappointed because they had painted advertising on the left field wall, Mm. and I thought, you prostituted yourself, people. You know, (laughs) It was the green monster. It was it was a an icon of baseball, and and they sold out. And so I was disappointed with that one. Probably Wrigley Field, other than the the Kansas City Park, um, would love to get back to. There's just something about Wrigley that just I mean they don't have racing weenies and they don't do the, the <laughs> innings. They just play baseball, and it's a beautiful beautiful place taking a shot at that my my beloved milwaukee brewers with the uh racing uh sausages come on now, now i gotta say the the uh, sliding into the beer mug was a good thing that the brewers <laughs> did a long time so <laughs> yeah speaking of storytelling like there was nothing like uh listening to uh bob euchre on the radio uh oh my for, i mean it was, he um, was he was a character i um i used to make fun of people for binge watching but i'm finding myself finding anything Bob Euchre's done on YouTube and just listening to it. And uh, the man is a classic. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, my dad would listen to, and like, we were awful for so long. And I mean, and still like the other guy, like he, for years now, and I think this might be his last year, but for years it was like, he'd take an inning off and the other guy would come in and blah, blah, but the other guy would never leave. He'd just sit there and you just hear him cackling in the background. Cause uh, you know, <laughs> Bobby Eaker's throwing out some, you know, toss away line. It's just yeah. like, just a hilarious guy. They reported when he did Major League, um, the movie Major League, mm-hmm. a lot of what he said was not scripted. <laughs> that they just put the mic in front of him and said, go. <laughs> right. He was right in his wheelhouse. That was, that was perfect. Oh my gosh. Harry Doyle. That's right. <laughs> Harry Doyle. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's just missed outside. That's right. Just a bit outside. Yeah, that's perfect. All right. Um, so we we have some links that we're going to share in the class. Uh, in the uh, I was going to say class notes. Oh my goodness, the semester is over, folks. <laughs> in the show notes, so so they'll be on uh, on at abaddonplanet.com. We'll have some links in the show notes. But uh, what what do you have to promote, David? Well. Um, one of the links is a link to my actual website where you'll uh, see 
um, some weekly posts. Uh, you'll, you'll have record of some of my blogs and also some explanation on the books. Um, my Facebook page, you'll see some of the similar uh, types of posts, but um, the, the Facebook page that's listed there will we'll have some other uh, aspects and posts that, uh, that I've put in. Uh, both of those, as well as the uh, uh, WordPress link uh, for my blog, probably will give you a good idea about my writing before you try to buy uh, anything on Amazon. Um, and so you can kind of see how I use stories and, and, uh, and pull truth out of things. And so those would be the three I would look at. And then if, if um, exploring uh, and on Amazon, each of them that you click, you can do that, uh, read this and, and find the first few chapters of each book. Um, I, I, I find they're easy to keep up with. Joel, you mentioned that they're, you know, short stories. You don't have to sit down and commit yourself to a 300 page book. Um, I, I call it writing in a, a short attention span disorder. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the long story guy. Uh, let's tell the story, laugh, get on to the next story. And so, uh, you can kind of see that in in the blog uh, items. Most most of my uh, writing, when I do it on a normal eight and a half by eleven Microsoft Word, is two to two and a half pages. Nice. So uh, you don't have to invest a lot of time. You can catch a story, and go on. A lot of people, Joel, use the books as uh, daily devotionals because mm -hmm. uh, it's just two and a half, two pages long. Um, uh, you know, three or four maybe in a book, but. Um, it, but it has the scripture reference. All of my writing always has uh, a reference back to the scripture, personal story, and, and then the truth that we can take out of it. Excellent. Well, thank you, David, and uh, appreciate all that you do and appreciate you uh, sharing your time with us today. Joel, it was an honor to be on your podcast. I, I do follow you uh, or stalk you religiously. <laughs> um, I, I've always been amazed at, at the man you are. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yes. All right. When I think about good people that I've met when we uh, moved down here to Mississippi, David Waddell makes a list. He's definitely on that list. Uh, always quick with a compliment, a funny story, and a nugget of wisdom, as you can kind of hear from this episode. So that is a, that's a good guy to have around. So thankful for David. And I'm glad, I, again, I had a chance to share a bit of his wisdom and approach to teaching with all of you out there who are listening. And then just thinking about we all have different ways that we've been made up. We all have different ways that we're trying to create influence with people in order to connect them with something. That's teaching, right? And so I think of teaching broadly. Uh, in a future episode, we're going to have Jeff McManus, who is in charge of the team that creates uh, the beautiful landscape uh, around the University of Mississippi. If you've ever been to the University of Mississippi and you've seen it, you're like, this place is amazing. It looks amazing. And what they're able to do with landscape and to make it a beautiful place, not only to work, but to um, just relax. I mean, it's just a beautiful place to have a walk, a beautiful place to rejuvenate. And it's a thing that I miss about uh, teaching remotely uh, this semester. So uh, looking to get back on campus, but looking also forward to sharing that conversation with Jeff McManus in the near future. So that is all for this episode, though, of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for the podcast can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 45. 
And there's lots of links associated with David. Uh, we'll be in the show notes as well. So go uh, go take a look at them. Uh, and now if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts so that the latest episode is always available whenever you're ready to listen. Rate or review the podcast if you have that available through your podcast provider. That's always appreciated. Hit the stars. Hit the uh, thumbs up. Um, you know, Write a little review. That, those are always good. And I get notes about those. So I'm very thankful. Uh, I know uh, Dr. Bondurant out there has uh, written one. So I'm very thankful to her. Um, subscribe to the Amazon Planet download uh, that contains teaching resources and updates from the M- from Amazon Planet. Latest update: I share the No Guilt Book Club, which uh, we're running through um, the Teaching Math uh, Teaching Math Teaching Podcast, which is another podcast that I co-host. We talked about that in the last episode. We're smack dab in the middle of this No Guilt Book Club, where we're looking at teaching math at a distance, but. It's a no guilt book club. So what's great is, let's say you wanted to jump in now. We're going to have another chat. We're having chats on Tuesday via the Amazon Planet Facebook page and YouTube channel. Um, you can catch up on the ones because the videos for those are posted on those pages. But then you, let's say, you know what? Um, not ready for that and I want to do something I'd like to do it but in June all right we'll grab a friend grit the books and then you can watch those episodes or uh, you can listen uh, watch those videos or you can even just wait for the episode that we're going to record at the end as a culminating sort of uh, experience for the teaching math teaching podcast so anyway uh, Teresa Wills uh, who wrote the teaching math at a distance book is amazing her book's amazing and so especially in a year where we've uh, where a lot of people have done some remote stuff, like she's got insights, not only for teaching math, but just teaching in general or engaging folks uh, through Zoom, uh, engaging people th- from a distance. I mean, we're all kind of doing that. I think that's going to be a large part of our culture. So again, teachers is not just those who are paid to teach, but anyone that's doing anything uh, where you're trying to create some sort of relationship with content, that's your, your teaching folks. So anyway. That's a, so Amazon Planet Download, you can find links to join, get the Amazon Planet Download at AmazonPlanet.com. There's lots of links to join the email list. I think there's also a, a button on uh, Facebook as well. So you can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where you purchase and support the production cost of podcasts. Thinking about offering some other stuff on in the uh, store. Um, we're in the planning phase. We're in the planning phase. Again, just finished the semester. Taking a breath. All right. In conclusion, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amateur Planet Podcast. Thanks to David Waddell for sharing his expertise in his books. Thanks to Matt Milvin for the music in this episode. Finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. The world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.